Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Welcome to Equine Voices, interview with Scout and Michelle from Scout's Trail. So I'm just going to bring Michelle and Scout in and they are going to tell us all about their adventures and their stories and their beautiful horses and their dogs. So here we go. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Just to explain this, if you hear a little noise in the background, there's a train. Where are you again? Goldfield Dust Town in Apache Junction. Apache Junction. So you, if you hear a train, that's what it is. You like your gunshots as well. They have gunfights. So welcome and thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. I'm so excited to hear about your adventures. So if you'd like to say a little bit about yourself. You know, where was you before you started? So what, what was happening before you decided to go off on, on this amazing adventure? We lived on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, on a little farm that we had where we had rescue animals and raised our own food. And Scout grew up there in wild woods. I'm not a volunteer, but a professional firefighter. And... When Scout was about nine years old, she started suffering from anxiety and depression. And I think I did as well from decades of rescue work, stuff like that. And so we decided because we both loved to travel, we had traveled internationally for about four years before maybe between her ages of six and 10. We loved to travel and we thought we needed to change a life. So we sold all of our possessions and sold our home. And we purchased a camper and truck and horse trailer. So we have like a mobile tiny home and tiny barn on wheels. And we loaded three dogs and three horses into that. And we've been seeing America by horseback for almost two years now. That's such an achievement to set off on that sort of journey anyway. I've been following you and watching what you've been getting up to. And and Scout makes some brilliant posts of, of where she's been. And recently you was riding with some wild horses. You did a little video of, of riding near the wild horses. So would you like to talk about your horses? Would you like to explain who they are and your dogs? So you've got T, Dakota, Joker, and then you've got Puck and Ko. Is that right? Well, I'll start with Dakota. She is, my horse is a almost 19-year-old Percher and Quarter Horse mare named Dakota. My mom got her when she was two days old. She was essentially born to die. She was what was called a nurse miracle. And we've had her ever since. And she was one of the big parts of me uh, getting rid of my anxiety and depression. Hedda Woody is a 30-year-old POA that travels along with us as our third horse. And she for the most part, runs at Liberty. Last year, she ran behind us for over 1,200 miles. The reason we have her is we used to have a pony that went blind and had her eyes removed. And although Scout still rode Daisy uh, on the trails, uh, at home, she couldn't live in with the other animals. So we rescued Hedamudi. And then when Daisy died, Scout started riding Hedamudi. And because we keep our animals forever, for the most part, we had three horses when we left, so she came along 
and she's quite the character. And then we also, he lives up to his name. He had a huge part in Scout's Eating Anxiety. He's the only horse we've ever purchased, all the rest still rescues. But that's really well-trained with great breaks and had no fear of anything. And that was Joker. And his an extra talent, which we found after we purchased him, was every time Scout got panicky or afraid when she was riding him, he would immediately do something funny. It was something completely harmless. He might pick something up or just do something really silly and goofy, and it would break her thought of what was making her afraid, and it would make her laugh. And because she would then start laughing, her anxiety would disappear. So Joker was amazing. And we have since switched horses. And, you know, there's a long list of horses that have helped Scout over the past two or three years in her journey to beat anxiety. And she rode Joker for about a year. And then we made a switch. Uh, so those are our, that's our little herd. And you want to tell them about our dogs? Well, we currently have two dogs, Puffing Kaya. Kaya is a approximately 11-year-old Shih Tzu who we originally rescued to be a service animal, but that didn't work out, so we decided to keep her. And now she rides in the saddle, which is while maybe we'll usually see pictures of her looking at the saddle bag. Then we also have a four-year-old tongue twister, Portuguese Podango. Oh, I've seen Kaya. Is that how you say it? Kaya. I've seen photos where you've been riding and um, you've got them on the, on the saddle, which is so cute, so lovely. So I had a little look and I saw a picture of Daisy. There was a picture of you when you was uh, a lot smaller, Scout, and you was riding Daisy, which is amazing that you've got a, a pony that's blind, but you can still do things with her. Would you like to uh, talk about... When you first set off on your journey, so when you sold your home and, and you got the horses and you've set off, what was going through your mind? How did you decide which area to go to first? Well, once we were able to get onto the road, once we get all of our things all packed up, we decided this one's already when my riding accident happened, so I was still very nervous about being on a horse and doing faster and slow walk. We decided to go up to Upper New York State to a horse camp and horse park called Salmon River Horse Park. It was, of course, near the Salmon River, and it has a two-acre obstacle course built by someone called Mark Bolander to simulate riding in the Sierras. And we spent three weeks there working on the horses, getting them not afraid of things, and just getting everyone more confident and braver. And then we just went on from there. What's our three weeks? Wow. I've heard it's Mark Bollinger. He does trail rides with bridges and, and steps. He's like the same person. I used to follow and watch his trail riding because I found that fascinating. So share with us some of your stories. What would you like to share? The, you, the platform's yours. You can talk about whatever you like. There was a story about your horses are healing. And you were saying, Michelle, about how they've healed you. And you've recently found that people have crossed your path they're having a similar effect um with them would you like to share some stories well the horses are definitely been healing for us turning scouts anxiety into pure confidence she's completely 
beaten anxiety. She does not have it anymore. She does not have depression anymore. You know, it's pretty significant when a young child has those things. We healed it all with no medication, just a lifestyle change and constant time with the animals. And we really enjoy, we're with them 24-7. They live, sometimes we camp in a pasture and they sleep at night right next to our camper and they, Scout loves it. They they treat us like a drive through. They'll come up and stick their faces in the window and expect carrots to pop out. So it's just a whole new relationship with your animals when they, when you live with them like this. Even when they lived in our backyard, it wasn't the same as this. So the connection becomes even stronger. And you just know what they're thinking. You know what they're wanting. You know what they're telling you. And they they know what you need. And the horses, it's been very fun to watch through over the past two years, how they have pushed Scout at the right moments when she was ready to do certain things, all of the horses. And now that she really doesn't need that anymore, she can ride any of the horses anywhere we go, anywhere in this country. We've ridden in deserts, in mountains, in rain and snow on cliff trails. I mean, not that she necessarily loves them all, but we ride highly technical things. We go into the wilderness by ourselves with no knowledge other than research and maps that we have. And, you know, she's just very well equipped and confident now. And what has come to my mind is people have started coming in our path, which we love, that for no reason, we cross paths with somebody who we're meant to be with, we're meant to meet. And whether we're just friends for a short time or some people we're going to now be lifelong friends, here they are. And usually Hedda Woody is the nucleus of that. And we took somebody on a ride last week that just was in town that doesn't live anywhere near here and just by chance stopped in in hopes of meeting Scout. And we just felt a uh, great energy about her. And this has happened with other people. And we invited her to come riding with us the day we went to the Wild Horses. And she was able to come. And she needed healing that day. We didn't know that when we invited her. And <clears throat> when we look back at all the people who... Woody has taken for a ride, I would say 95% of them needed healing from Woody. And it's pretty magical. So now all of our animals are helping others that their kind of work is almost done with us, although they keep good meat. We can all do with a bit of maintenance from time to time. That's a lovely story. And all our animals, but especially horses, I think it's something to do with their free spirit. They're very intuitive and, and they do tend to give you what you need, not always what you want. And they pushed you. <laughs> I get what you mean about camping out. It would be lovely. During lockdown last year, I was so lucky that where I keep my horse, they literally said, come and stay with us, you know, and then at least you're in one area, you can get to do your horse. So I stayed there and I, I camped out for a few days and I spent, which is what I always wanted to do with, with my own horse. So I camped out and it, I just loved it. And you could hear the horses snorting and moving around in the night. You could hear the foxes. And it was it, it, it was lovely. It was on the farm, so we didn't go anywhere. But it was just, it was something 
that I'd love to have done. And even if it was just in your back garden, it was it was still special. And those moments when you spend with your horses, just sitting with them and just doing nothing, it's like a silent communication. There's healing going on. There's an exchange which you walk away and you don't know why, but you just feel better. And I love that. So I can imagine that the people that come into contact with you have a similar experience and go away feeling inspired, definitely. So Scout, tell me about your book. How did that come about? Well, about four years ago, really, we, I took an onward class on writing a book publisher. What kind of school do you have? I have, I, I do something called unschooling. It's experiential learning. So instead of sitting there at a desk doing curriculum, I took an online class of how to write a book. And I worked with a publisher and I worked with an editor and I had to write down what I wanted the pages to look like. And we just kept working together until I thought the pictures were perfect. That was an illustrator. And then four years later, we got my book printed just this January. Wow. How proud are you? It was professionally illustrated by Diane Lancaster. So they're really spectacular illustrations. And Tell her about how all the characters were created. Well, how they were created is they are either animals, two of the animals are traveling with us at the moment, or they lived on my farm back on Cape Cod, such as the instance, the big white horse that I call Big Phoenix is my life horse, Dakota. Or Bloom was, on the picture, is Bloom, that was my boring pony days. Or Pop. The dog in real life is Puck the dog, the book. Maybe Scout didn't think about this at the time, but I think about it a lot. She started this book when she was eight. I was right about the time she started struggling with friends changing and moving apart and interactions changing. And she had a lot of bad experiences that really made her sad and unhappy. So the book is very much about friendship and working out differences and not bullying. So it's a really beautiful story. And I don't think she necessarily meant it, but that's how she was feeling. Ever since she was born, she just played with toys and created stories. So she's always making up stories. She's a born storyteller. And I think that this book came from that place where she was, which was the reason we actually started this journey and this book did take a long time, but it's fantastic and everyone should take a look at it because I think you'll love it. It has a really nice message and she's a very gifted storyteller and writer. She had the second book. Tell them about your second book and how that happened. When I was six, we started traveling internationally and the first place we ever went out of the country was Mongolia. And while we were in Mongolia, we didn't want to go to all the tourist places. We wanted to, you know, authentically travel around. So we had an interpreter and a guide with us. And while we were staying in one of the Gura camps, there was this girl that lived, that helped out in the Gura camp that lived down there, like down this prairie hill from us. And we kind of just picked her up as we went, and she traveled around with us while we were staying there. And her name was Tinma. 
And so, and she was your age. And then she was about my age. When I started writing books at the same time that I was writing this, I took another online class with the same person on writing a Cinderella story, but a different culture style. So I chose Mongolia and I called my book, which I am actually illustrating myself digitally at the moment called Tinmaela of Mongolians. Wow. Have you stayed in touch? What's the girl from Mongolia? Yeah. No, we have not. Tell them why you can't. Because Mongols, well, they're nomadic, like, so they are always packing up and moving. Like our guide, our, our, our interpreter, sorry, Fuji, who also plays a small part in our book, so we could get permission to use Tinma's name in the book. She had to go searching all around where they usually are to go find her so she could get permission from her. So, no, we cannot keep in contact with her because of that. They don't get mail or they don't have internet, so they just move four to eight times a year when their herds of animals move because of the time of year, they pack up their things and change location. Okay. That's an amazing opportunity, uh, an amazing story. And to put it into a book, and who knows, your paths may cross it at some point. You never know what's around the corner um, or in the future. But wow. They can also get my book on Amazon, the Barnes Noble website and my personal website. I'll put some links up so people can find those. Before I was a firefighter, I trained dogs for a living. I trained search and rescue dogs, but I also trained service dogs. And Stephanie and her husband had a little girl who was only six years old that had to walk with a walker, like a physical piece of equipment. And their doctor told them she would never walk on her own. Stephanie, that's all you need to say for her to then prove that, oh no, my daughter will walk. And so they were amazing, dedicated parents. I remember seeing them go out with their daughter on a tricycle and would push the pedals round and round for her because she wasn't strong enough to do it herself. Now she competes in Special Olympics on a tricycle. Uh, but when she was six, I trained a dog for her. And Danielle named the dog Walker because that dog was going to become her walker. So. With the dog walking at her side, she was able to, by the time, I'm not sure the exact age, but I know a goal in life was for her to graduate from high school and walk independently down the aisle, and she did. So that is who Stephanie is. They are amazing parents, an amazing little girl that are part of a life of mine decades ago. They sound very, very special. And to go into the Paralympics, that's an achievement. A big achievement. Where is the next part of your journey going to take you then, Michelle and Scout? Where are you planning next to go? Well, how our lifestyle works is we don't make plans. We don't really know where we're going next. We're leaving tomorrow. So we don't really know where we're going to go next yet. So we just kind of figure it out as we go. Like tonight we'll search for a camp that we can go to. Here and that's where we'll go to, and then we'll just figure it out as we go. 
we actually do know where we're going tomorrow. We don't generally tell people ahead of time. Basically, it's for safety that like we're headed. It's a, she's exactly right. There are many days that the day before we don't know where we're going. And the reason we started doing that is it helped with anxiety. So if you don't have a date where you have to be at a certain place at a certain time, when you don't get there, you're not anxious about not making. So a lot of our life was managed in such a way to reduce all anxiety. When Scout had a lot of anxiety, there was a lot of criteria to what we could and could not do every day, whether it had to do with traveling, camping, riding, other people around us. And the travel plans was part of it. And we've kept that even though her anxiety is gone because we enjoy it. If you make a plan to go somewhere and then the weather's going to be bad, who really wants to go there? Because we're not on vacation. So we try to always go where the weather is nice. We're headed tomorrow. And then where we're going to head later this week is because we've gotten invitations. So people will now invite us to visit them. So if we happen to be in that area and the weather is good, then we'll take that opportunity to go visit if it works out for everyone. So we really are just nomadic like Tinma and we travel around by happenstance weather opportunity where we are now. We were originally coming for four days and I think we'll end up having stayed for six weeks. So it's not predictable. You know, of course, broken down before, which is never fun. But when we don't have to be anywhere, okay, where we break down is where we're going to be. There's always someone in some place and something that's there to help us when we need it. And we just enjoy our circumstances in the moment and not try to strive for something we thought we were supposed to do because there usually isn't anything Yes, where we are. Scout, when you are an older, <laughs> a grown woman, you're going to look back on this adventure and it must go by so quickly. Um, the, t- the time must just go by so quickly because you're just in that moment and you're enjoying what you're doing. Like you said, it's not always sunshine in. You have the bad weather as well sometimes, but you can just go where the road takes you, so to speak. Tell her about the book. Bison story about how there's so many things to that we do. I think you should. I don't know if this is actually true. She might just be making this up. There's no actual evidence except for what she's telling us. So go ahead. Well, you know, a lot of the things we do are people's bucket list rides or yearly vacation or dream of our lifetime event. And for Scout, it's just her normal life. You know, we ride in a lot of spectacular places. We're very fortunate. But we do so many things that, you know, it's just hard to remember it all. And we were in South Dakota last summer and we were in the Black Hills. And we were, I don't even think, I guess we had, I don't know if we had horses or not, but it doesn't really matter. But as we were driving out of, Custer State Park, right through the heart of the park where all the tourists go, there were four giant bus bison laying on the side of the road, like almost touching Allegedly. the And the next day, I was telling her brother about it, and she was in shock because she had no memory that we drove by these bison. Now, before then, we had ridden on the Centennial Trail on a pack trip, and we'd seen hundreds and hundreds of bison. So I guess to her, 
seeing four on the side of the road wasn't a big deal because she rode through herds of them on horseback. But I was kind of funny. Her memories, and I'm surprised you haven't asked this yet, but that's good because it means you have original questions. But everybody wants to ask us, what is your favorite ride? Oh, listen, Goody West. They want us to say some trail. And Scout will never say that usually because what makes rides favorite for her are we met somebody very special or we rode with somebody special or we did something fun. So because the like beautiful bucket list rides are, I think, just daily occurrences to her. But we've had some amazing people we've ridden with. We've ridden our horses through drive throughs We've t- ridden them to get pizza and do a tell. Yes. Two of my top favorite rides. The first one we were in South Dakota, somewhere around Mount Rushmore. And we rode on this trail. It's called Iron Creek Horse Trail. We were with two of our friends uh, who we were staying with at the time. We trailered the men with us, Aaron. We were riding, and I love water crossings. Anything that I can cross my horse safely into water with. This one, it was an out-and-back ride. We're going to come and go and come back the same way. So it had 12 water crossings one way, so 24 water crossings the whole day. And as we're crossing one of the water crossings, we see these people off to the side, and then we got to the end of the trail. We were having lunch, and this lady, the same lady who had this cute little lab and was walking for a friend, she walked up to us, and she and she's like, uh, are you Scouts Trail? I'm like, yeah, we are. And, and she was a big fan of us, apparently. And we actually ended up becoming extremely good friends of her. She rides Woody. And, like, she just gets her and Woody get along great. She loves her. And her name is Cammie. And we just love her. Yeah, of her. So that was probably my top favorite ride. But my second favorite ride, one of my big bucket list items was to ride through a drive through on my horse and pick up my food. And when we were staying in Grand Canyon State Park, after we did the whole going to see the Grand Canyon or the road, you know, doing all that, we re- when we were staying in the camp, we realized, oh, there is a drive-through in town, a 20-minute ride away from us. So we get on the horses. Of course, we have our little Liberty horse in tow. And we're just riding. We ride there, and it was a Wendy. So, so we get in there, and there's, I mean, it's packed because it's like the town that it's, like it's the Grand Canyon town, so they're all in there, and everyone's there, and it's just like a giant line. And we get in there like a car, and we're all sitting there. We order it, and then we got to the window. I didn't actually—I had to get off because there was—it just rained a few days before, and there was a puddle in front of the window. And of course, my horse was too afraid to go up to a puddle. Even that's making cross raging rivers up to her nose. I got our food. Then there was a museum and some woods right there, so we went behind the museum fence, and we had our food. My horse had got to have French fries, a frosty. So that was for, that was really fun. I remember seeing it, Stacey Westfall video where she was riding one of her horses and she rode to McDonald's <laughs> and she was riding down the street. And I, I loved that. I thought that must be so cool. There's a pizza place that's called the Hitching Post. Like the horse area is bigger than the actual parking lot. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But there's a breakfast place or, the library has hitching posts. There's so many places that hit, have hitching posts around here. It's it's amazing. The, uh, the grocery store has hitching posts. 
Like, it seems like a pretty normal thing to have a horse just walking across the street in this town. Because, you know, there's hitching posts at every street corner. Yeah, we don't have things like that in the UK. If you rode into town on your horse, you'd get a double look and there's nowhere to tie them. Maybe in the countryside, but or in the dales or somewhere, the lakes, but not in the town. The roads in the UK are a lot um, smaller than in the States and they are windy and tiny. Sometimes you can just get one car down. So you were, like, we were driving our giant wide rig that's so long and we're just like, eyes on the road someone else comes down the road with another rig because someone's gonna be backing up and it's most likely gonna be that give us a, a little rundown of your day what what's your days like i know they're all different obviously you've got to get up and sort the horses out what's your day like an average day we kind of have three days a rest day today a travel day and a ride day i guess the typical thing is well for a rest day we'll get up in the morning you know, maybe look at our phones for a few minutes, then we'll go and we'll feed the horses, give them their hay. Um, then we'll come back inside, we'll have our food, then we'll go out and pick up their manure and give them their feed bags with their grain supplements in them. And then we might do an interview like today or, you know, just rest around. Like in Arizona, we have siesta on pretty much every rest day. Or we'll go biking or swimming or hiking or go to a museum. Whatever there is to do around us, we can get to it. For a ride day, if where there's kind of two types of ride days, if we are camping at the trailhead, we'll get up, you know, go do the normal, depending on how long the ride is, let's just say it's a normal day ride as we usually do. We'll get up maybe around 7.30 in the morning. We'll go out, give them their hay come back inside, have whatever breakfast we're having, go out, clean their manure, give them their feedbacks. Then we'll get our lunch ready. Then they should be done with that and we'll go time up to the trailer. We'll get them all tacked up, then we'll go out wherever we're going. If we have to drive to the trailhead, which we've done a couple of times since we've been here, basically the same thing in the morning, but we'll try to hurry up a little bit more depending on how far the car drive is and then we'll we'll get there do the same thing tack up we have a slant load trailer so we can't and the stalls are fairly tight so we can't have their saddles on there so we'll so we'll get there we'll put their saddles on and get going a travel day we're lucky since we've got so much to do we try to get everything done a few days before but we've got so much stuff to get done we're lucky if we get out by 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> what our travel day looks like is we do the same thing as any other day. We'll most likely have our lunch already packed the night before and maybe have like a pre-made uh, breakfast that we can just grab and eat. We'll do the same thing as we do any other day. Give the horses their hay. Um, the trail will most likely already be set up for them, have their hay bags there and maybe some grain bowls, whatever. And then we'll get onto the road. One of the things about travel day is our rig. We have to put our rig together. Our rig consists of a truck, a truck camper, and a bumper pull trailer. So, for example, because we were here for six weeks, we put our camper on the ground. So to get ready for a travel day, we have to... 
first, we have to get our extension hitch on before we can put the camper on. Without the ball hitch, then we slide the camper onto the truck. Then we put the ball hitch on. We have a flatbed, so we don't have any sides. So we have boxes on the sides and wooden panels to keep it all on. So we get the boxes up, we put the walls up, and then we go and hook up the horse trailer. And then we're ready. You know, before we put it on the truck, we had to pack up the insides. If we're already hooked up, we'll get up in the morning and put it together. But because there was so much to do, we got the whole rig hooked up yesterday. Tomorrow morning, we just need to close our slides and load the horses to take off. And an important thing for us on travel days is we don't like to go very far. In the beginning, we would do long, hard days, and it's no fun for us or the horses. And when we first started, you know, we weren't as confident. And so we would tend to use horse motels and campgrounds and have it really planned out ahead where we were going to go and stay. And now, two years later, we boondock a lot. We can just pull over anywhere and set up. We don't need anything. And it's not common, but it's not unusual that we would take off in the morning with a general sense of where we were going, but not really know exactly where we were going to spend the night. We would go look at something and then maybe move and go find something better if our online recon didn't pan out as we had hoped. We try not to drive more than 300 miles in a day. That gives us time to set up, be done early, or find a new location if our first plan didn't work out. Such as like when we stayed at the Grand Canyon, we we had a plan to go somewhere, but we got there too late. We had to drive around to the other side of the, of the park and it was very pitch black by then. So we just pulled in to a little parking area and we just kind of sat there for the night. Then in the morning, we got turned around and then we drove up the road about 15, 20 minutes. So we found a nice place to camp with trees and shade so michelle you used to be a firefighter is that right yes you've got to be quite strong and you've got to be level-headed um some of the skills then was to set you up for what you're doing now most of the skills that got me ready weren't really from my firefighting job because i my firefighting job i retired from was from a city fire department was mostly you know houses burning down and car accidents and things that go on in the city. But before I was a firefighter, I trained animals professionally and I was very involved in search and rescue. Over 20 years, I searched for lost people in the woods and participated in urban search and rescue um, at disasters. And uh, I did it with dogs. I did water rescue and rope rescue and I did ski patrols. I also teach wilderness first responder classes still and am a wilderness EMT. So if someone gets in trouble in the woods, I'd typically be the person that would come to help. I like to hope that I prevent us from having any accidents because I know what can go wrong and try to be well prepared to prevent something from happening. That's what I teach my students, that if they come back to me in two or three years, they won't tell me about all the treating that they did of the people they were guiding. They'll tell me how they didn't have to treat anyone because their knowledge prevented everything from going wrong. And so that's what I try to do and to teach Scout to think critically and know what our risks are. And yes, our life is riskier than most, but it's not taken lightly. We decide what and what may look risky from a photo that you see on one of Scout's social media 
people have no idea how much preparation might have gone behind whatever it is we're doing and you know what our capabilities are we're not the average trail riders no you've got thought behind what you're doing i guess what we would like to say she's made a lot of sales on her book from her regular followers and we've been trying to think about how we could grow her sales even more so we had purchased us a small quantity of character stuffies from four of the characters in the book and we're going to give one away to anyone who can maybe take scout's book into their local bookseller or local shop that sells books and show it to them if that leads to a wholesale then we want to send them one of these as gifts in exchange for helping us grow scouts book business just take your copy to a bookseller and the book is available on barnes and noble and her publisher which is Stillwater books is uh, there's a link to her publisher on amazon and there's wholesale pricing for anyone that would like to, to sell her book in their shop so we're encouraging that maybe her followers could help her get a bigger sales force by okay, people around the world going into shops and Maybe getting our her books. So you said it's on Amazon. Can you get it in uh, the UK? Yes, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble online. It's available on the website that Scout has for the book, and it's also available from the publisher. So there's four places you can order from. She wrote the book. She worked with an editor to, you know, fine tune the language. She worked with the illustrator. Then she worked with the publisher. That's a good business move, Scout. Well done. You must be so proud of her, Michelle. And Scout, you must be proud of your mum for the whole experience in life that not many people would have the chance or would or maybe not want to do. People want to do things, afraid to. And here's a story that I like to tell. One of the most common comments is that people would like to do this or that. And they don't know how or they think they can't. And when we first went Mongolia, the reason we went is my son was stationed in Japan and I wanted to go somewhere else since we were halfway around the world. And I really wanted to go to Mongolia because of the relationship they have with horses. I wanted to ride horses there and meet those people. But the thought of planning a trip or even paying for a trip to Mongolia seems daunting and an unrealistic goal. And the first thing you say is I could never do that. So my plan was I bought one way to get two of us to Mongolia. So I paid for them and now I'm committed. There's no way to not go. You're going to lose all that money. And then over time, I just found the guide and bought the next ticket to get to Japan. I just did it little by little until I had taken us from uh, New York to Mongolia, all over the steppe in the Sahara Desert, to Okinawa, then to San Diego for a visit, and then back home. And the whole thing lasted uh, for well, lasted three or four weeks. You just have to do it and believe in yourself and not come up with limitations and reasons why you can't. Because if you want to do something bad enough, you can do it. Just make it happen. We rely heavily on not planning too much because 
what we need and where we need to be always occurs and who we need to see always is in front of us. And if we try to plan too much, you would just plan yourself to death and never go because you thought you hadn't planned enough. And then you'd have so much planning. It'd be hard to meet all the plans and the whole thing would be too stressful. We put in some, some basic things and then we just let the rest flow and it always works out amazing. Once you start doing it, it just gets easy here and you just mm-hmm. kind of learn as you go. When we first left on the road, I loaded our horse trailer so much grain that I'm surprised the axle didn't collapse, which was so silly because in every, in every place in the United States, there's a feed store and you can buy grain. You know, I thought I had to take all this stuff with us. We also sucked for food because, you know, we had a giant house. We had an unfinished, ginormous basement bigger than our house. So we always stocked that up. Like, we grew our own food, but we always stocked that up for, like, store-bought winter food. So we'd have food to survive us through the winter when we couldn't grow things. So we were used to having just a million little things that we could go grab our from the store. Once you get going, you just figure it out. You just learn as you go. And if you're afraid to go because you think you don't know enough, you'll never go. You just learn it along the way. Yeah, that's true. I went on a trip, I think it was about two years ago, and it was my first time for the States. And I bought a ticket to Denver. And I remember at the time, a friend said, you need to go. And I'm going, how on earth am I going to get there? I've got no money. How am I going to get there? I, I managed to buy a ticket and I got there. And it was literally a, a few days before. I would arranged for some car hire, but it fell through. And, and I'd planned a few Airbnbs and there was quite a, a long way away. I stayed in Golden in Colorado and then I went to Cheyenne and then I went to, to where did I go next? I went to quite a few places. And I thought, how the heck am I going to get there? I've got no transport. So I was, and the day before I was thinking, perhaps I shouldn't go. Perhaps this is a sign I shouldn't go. And my friend said, you're going. I haven't got enough money. She says, you're going to go. It'll work out fine. And in the morning I felt sick. I got on this plane. I was going on my own, which didn't bother me because I do most things on my own. I sat on this plane. I thought, well, I'm going now. <laughs> and I managed to get to where I needed. I I got a train and then a little bus. And then I walked for about two hours to get to this place. And then the next day, I did manage to get some car hire, but it was a few days later because I I got to Cheyenne on the Greyhound coach and I missed one. So I had to wait till midnight to get the next one. And it was just such an experience. I met the most amazing people and the people I stayed with were just so friendly and there was a couple I stayed with that didn't know me it was a friend of a friend and she says yeah you can come and stay and I stayed with them and I ended up going riding she has barrel racing horses and I'd only just got back on my horse because of my own anxiety nothing to do with horses but it just put a block on me and I'd got back on my horse I was like wow I won the lottery for me that was my own hurdle and then I was out riding in America for two hours on this barrel racing horse. And it was, wow, it was mind-blowing. But if I'd have planned it, it was better than I, I would have planned. Mm-hmm. But the day before, I wasn't even sure I was going to get there. But it all worked out. It, it just worked out. Yeah. I had a similar experience. In, we were in New Zealand 
and we just the same thing, travel by public transportation and figure it out as we go. And we wanted to go to Hobbiton and we were staying at an Airbnb and we just found there was a shuttle the day before. I just Googled horse stable near me or something. That's how we usually find things. And I found this person who wasn't a trail riding place, but I think she was just a stable. And we told her who we were and she came and we went to Hobbiton, visited the whole place and she picked us up and she lived right there around Hobbiton. So then we went horseback riding in the Shire and it was amazing. And then she brought us back to our Airbnb and yeah, things just happen. Find the right people and you have great experiences and it's a great way. That's how we do it. And it works for us. I I think it's about trusting, which is really a hard thing to do if you're not used to doing it, is trusting your intuition, just trusting your gut that things are going to work out and be brave to take that step. <laughs> we apparently, we've been talking about, we don't have plans. Our plan is we're trying to find a spot where we would be interested in purchasing some land because we would like to have a place we can go. Well, last year during COVID, we were on the move and on the road. That got a little bit stressful when everything closed down and we didn't really know where we could go. So that made us realize it'd be nice if we had our own place we could just go to. Sometimes, because many people who are full-time travelers don't actually travel a lot they might sit in one place or go between two places like a summer place and a winter place but we actually move all the time staying in one spot for six weeks is a long time for us we've only done this a couple times so we're always moving and we found that we do at least once or a couple times a year we like to just stop and pause and stay stationary whether it's to work on writing or just to take a break, whatever the reason, in the winter, just to be in one good temperature area. So we're still in search of where that place is. We've kind of narrowed it down a little bit. That's kind of the focus of this summer is investigating those places we think might be good. We've initially thought we'd find somewhere that would be perfect year round, and we now know that's not true. We need to find a place that's going to be nice most of the year. Scout has a dream to do the Mustang makeover for kids and we need to have our own place to be able to do that. But we also want to travel. We still want to go around with the horses. So that's kind of as far as our plan is. We're sort of in search of perfect spot. So we've heard Southwest Oregon is pretty good and I I would like that. You you should talk to Justin Dunn. He used to do the Mustang makeovers. He used to live in Colorado he's moved to North Carolina and he has a place with Mustangs and he helps veterans but he needs to work with children and, and summer camps but he has the facility and the veterans or people that are referred to him can go and, and just be with the horses and he lets them interact with the horses and leaves the horses to to do the healing to do the the, the communication is quite fascinating. We're headed to Horia River Ranch in a couple yeah. weeks. And to answer the other half of her question, there's going to be some conversation about possibly doing some camps for kids, you know, to help with 
healing. So with Animals in Scout is going to be a part of that conversation about being involved in that if that comes to fruition. And that's in southern Utah. Well, I've no doubt that whatever you guys do, you're going to just achieve it because you set your mind to it and your mindset is is inspiring. You've inspired me and I've got little thoughts in my head, not on your scale, but li- a little, little thought. But we'll have to see where that goes. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending Sunday, Easter Sunday, and just chatting with us and telling us a little bit about your life. I'm sure there's loads more stories and I'd love to hear them. So perhaps another time down the road, we can catch up and see what you're up to and see how Scout's getting on. How old are you now, Scout, by the way? I'm 12. You're 12 now. Oh, teenager soon. (laughs) It's just fascinating. I don't know what else to say. It's just fascinating. And there'll be lots of people, I'm sure, looking at your blog and getting inspiration in their own little way, whatever that is, they'll be getting something from that. Because when you watch somebody that's that's doing what you do, you invest in that energy and you draw something from it for yourself, whatever it is you need. It, it, it gives you inspiration to do what you you want to do. But maybe not on your scale, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we're looking forward to going to higher altitude tomorrow with some with some nice cool air mountain breeze <laughs> mountain breeze thank you so much it's been lovely chatting to you have um a lovely sunday the rest of your your sunday and safe travels wherever you're going to i look forward to um seeing when that is well thank you again thank you so much Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Go and cool down now and give your horses a big hug from the UK, <laughs> from me. I look forward to a catch-up in the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye. You are welcome. Bye. Well, aren't they amazing? That was just brilliant. Thank you guys for coming on. Have a lovely Sunday and speak to you soon. Thank you and bye for now. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.